Hi, I'm Glenn Schaefer, the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we're glad that you have joined us this morning for worship. And we do ask that if you're watching us uh, from somewhere outside of Grand Rapids area, or even if in the Grand Rapids area, please let us know where it is that you're, you're watching the uh, service from. Hopefully you've been able to download a copy of the worship folder, the services. This is what we'll be following today. Our first reading for this second Sunday of Easter is from Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care about what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thuatus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away some of the people after him. And he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1. It reminds us and assures us of the treasure that we have through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given to us first in our holy baptism. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are be guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's in this that you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, the test, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice, and, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for our Lord, I invite you to rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel is according to St. John, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. This text will also serve as the basis for my message this morning. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in the hands the mark of, his, of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Well, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Don't you just want to break out in song when you hear these words? I mean, don't you just want to get out the champagne and celebrate like it's New Year's Eve? Doesn't it just want to make you laugh and dance and shout and sing for joy? If you've been watching my noontime devotions, you'll know that from this past Monday, I talked about that the fact that the week following Easter is Holy Hilarity Week. Gizmo and I talked about that in our Thursday morning chapel message as well. It's Holy Hilarity Week. Easter Monday is known as Bright Monday. And today is known as Holy Humor Sunday. For centuries, in Eastern Orthodox and Catholic and Protestant countries, 
the week following Easter Sunday is observed as, as days of joy and laughter. There are parties and there are picnics and there's practical jokes to celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Churchgoers and pastors drench each other with water. They tell anecdotes, they sing, they dance. Priests and pastors entertain congregants with jokes and peals of laughter and frivolity fill the sanctuaries. This custom is rooted in the musing of early church theologians like St. Augustine and John Chrysostom, who proclaimed that God played a practical joke on the devil and death by raising Jesus from the dead. The Rusus Pascalis, the Easter laugh, is what these theologians called it. On Good Friday, Jesus suffered for the sins of the world so that we might be forgiven. And Satan thought that he had won. He thought he had won when Jesus suffered and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Satan thought he had won when Jesus died and was buried. Death, too, thought it was victorious, that it had the final say. But no, God had the last laugh when on Easter morning Jesus rose from the dead. And so, in the spirit of Holy Humor Sunday, I'd like to share a joke with you. A pastor was known for his lengthy sermons. And I won't mention any pastor by name, okay? But anyways, this pastor was known for his lengthy sermons, and he noticed that a man got up and left in the middle of his sermon, in the middle of the pastor's sermon. Well, the man thought, the pastor thought that was a little curious, especially when the man returned before the conclusion of the service. Well, afterwards, the pastor went to the man and he said, where did you go during my sermon? And the man said, I went to get a haircut. But why didn't you do that before the service, the pastor asked. Because the, wor- the worshiper said, I didn't need one then. I didn't need one then. Okay, I promise I will try to keep this message short. I'll try not to be too long-winded today. And also, this is when you click the emoji that has the, like the, the smiley face or whatever at the bottom of your page. Click it many times to show that you really enjoyed that joke. Now, you see, we are living in a less-than-humorous world. In fact, it is downright depressing and disturbing to live in this world at this time. There's the ever-present reality of wars and terrorism. There's poverty and starvation that are commonplace in the less prosperous countries of this world. Even in our own country, there is massive unemployment, and people are wondering how they're going to be paying their bills. 401ks are taking a beating. Some businesses are facing the prospect of bankruptcy. And oh yeah, the quarantine guidelines are still in place for who knows how long. Graduation services and ceremonies are being canceled. The coronavirus continues to spread and the death count climbs. It's not really party time, is it? In fact, it might even be considered a little insensitive 
to observe or to celebrate Holy Hilarity Week or to have a Holy Humor Sunday in light of people's real struggles. And yet it might be wise for us to heed the advice of the proverb that says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Oh yes, there is a time to weep, but there's also a time to laugh, especially when Jesus, the life of the party, shows up. You know, it's an alarming and disheartening time for Jesus' disciples. Fear locks the disciples in isolation, we hear in our text. They huddle in a dead-bolted room because they're terrified that the same fate that happened to Jesus might happen to them. Sadness and grief, grief oppress them. And an unknown future without Jesus is very unsettling, and they find that a growing sense of hopelessness is is growing within them. How will they return to the old normal? Is it even possible to return to what is normal after having spent time with Jesus? And then there's the puzzling reports that the disciples are hearing about from the women that they've seen Jesus, that these women have seen Jesus, and that he's alive. The last thing these disciples feel like doing is partying. Unless, of course, you're maybe going to have a pity party. But suddenly, Jesus, the life of the party, shows up. We're told in our text, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The atmosphere in that room was transformed instantly. The wake is over. And now there's an awakening that's beginning to take place in the hearts of Jesus' followers. They're awakening to the realization that life supplants death. Hope displaces despair. Love overcomes hate. Joy overwhelms sadness. Laughter quiets weeping, peace casts out fear, and forgiveness absolves guilt. And that room, that room is filled with dancing and singing and laughter and song and food and drink. It's a festive celebration for Jesus. The life of the party is alive. Marty Colway, I don't know him, but I came upon a story that he told. Marty Colway is, a, is someone who works at the Lutheran High School in Parker, Colorado. And he tells the story of his nephew, Elijah. Elijah was about four years old at the time of this story. Elijah was attending a Good Friday service with his parents. And he was sitting beside a woman who was deeply moved as she listened to the sermon and watched the video about Jesus' suffering. And Elijah saw that the woman had tears coming down on her cheeks. Well, Elijah tapped her on the shoulder, and he leaned in and he whispered into her ear, I know the end of the story. He comes back to life. Friends, I know that there are reasons for us to weep and lament. 
there's reasons for us to have a somber wake. And I'm, cer- not certainly, I'm certainly not suggesting that we deny those emotions, that we put on a phony, happy face and pretend that everything is okay when we know it isn't. But be assured, the man of sorrows, Jesus Christ, he suffered firsthand. He knows what suffering is. And he weeps with us. He laments with us in our losses. He doesn't cast us aside when, he, when we bring to him our anxieties and our worries and our fears. But instead, he holds us in his comforting and strong arms. And so, no, we do not want to deny those, those times of weeping and lamenting and sadness and anxiety and depression Jesus invites us to bring those things to him. But there's also another truth. It's Easter. It's Resurrection Day. There's joy. There's hope. The unbelievable joke that God pulled on the devil and and death makes all the difference in the world for us. On Good Friday, death thinks that it has the final word. But our risen Lord and Savior says to death, oh, not so fast, death. For you see, Jesus Christ did not remain in the grave. He rose again in victory and triumph. And he did so not just for himself, but for you and for me. He promises everlasting life to everyone who believes in him. We are all more than conquerors over death, says St. Paul. Yes, the devil is crushed. Death is defeated. And it gives us reason to laugh and rejoice. Frederick Beekner points out, and I quote, that means not just that you shall laugh when the time comes, but that you can laugh a little bit even now in the midst of of the weeping, because you know that time is coming. All appearances to the contrary notwithstanding, the ending will be a happy ending. And that is what the last laughter is about. It's the laughter of faith. It's the divine comedy. Yes, our risen Lord gives us reason, no matter what we're facing in life, to have kind of the last laugh, if you will, or to, to have, find some joy even in the worst of circumstances because we know that even though we weep now and we lament now, there will be a time when our hearts will be filled with an unimaginable joy as our Lord receives us into his heavenly home and receives our loved ones who trust in him into their heavenly home. Thomas was absent at that first party. And now Thomas is quite annoyed with his friends. He's annoyed with their excessive giddiness and their, and their chatter and their festivities. Thomas is irritated. He's irritated with their incessant, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas isn't having any of it. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And Thomas is no man's fool. Jesus, risen from the dead, right 
maybe in your dreams. And exasperated, Thomas issues a challenge. Unless I see the nail marks in Jesus' hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not, I will never believe. And with each passing day, I can just see Thomas tapping his toe and saying, okay, guys, where is he? Where is this Jesus that you claim to have seen? And one week later, the text tells us that Jesus' disciples are in the house again, and Thomas is with them. And the doors are locked, and Jesus comes, and he stands among them, and he says, peace be with you. And perhaps maybe with a little twinkle in his eye, Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here, and See my hands and reach out and put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And that room, that room was filled once again with dancing and singing and laughter and food and drink. And they partied late into the evening, maybe into the early morning hours. For Jesus, the life of the party is alive. Oh, Thomas takes such a bum rap, doesn't he? The doubting Thomas. Oh, there are at least ten other doubting Thomases in that room, at least earlier in the day, before they met Jesus the first time. Or earlier that week, I mean. And I'm looking into a camera that has doubting Thomases on the other side of the lens. And truth be told, in my walk of faith with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I too have found myself doubting him from time to time certainly questioning his ways. But hear this. The theologian Paul Tillich says, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. Philip Yancey observes, God seems rather doubt-tolerant, actually. And certainly as we read about the matriarchs and the patriarchs in the Old Testament times, we see that these men and women of faith often had doubts about whether or not God could fulfill what it is that he had promised to do in their lives. And this is true of Christians throughout the ages, even renowned theologians and Christian apologists. John Calvin, one of the reformers, said, Surely, surely we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety. And C.S. Lewis said, often when I pray, I wonder if I'm not posting letters to a non-existent address. Yes, doubt accompanies our faith. Madeline Lengo writes, those who believe in God but without passion in the heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. Anne Lamont adds, I have a lot of faith, but I'm also afraid a lot, and I have no real certainty about anything. I remembered something Father Tom had told me, that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, 
the emptiness and the discomfort and letting it be there until some light returns. Doubt accompanies our faith. Not always having all the answers is a part of who we are as people who walk by faith and not by sight. And it's this doubting spirit that causes us to issue the challenge, Lord, Lord, unless I see the nail marks in your hands and your feet and the spear mark in your side, I won't believe. I want proof. And Jesus appears. He says, here I am. Here I am. You wanted me? Here I am. Touch the scars in my hands and my feet and my side. I am alive. And like Thomas, we cannot but help exclaim, my Lord and my God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me overcome it. Yes, the life of faith that we live as followers of Jesus Christ is one of many contradictions. We weep, but we laugh. We doubt, but we brim with confidence. We fall, but we seek restoration and are restored. We lament, but we celebrate. We hate, but we love. And through it all, Jesus stands by our side, and he loves us, and he forgives us, and he even tolerates us. And as we go through this life of faith, and we have these doubts, and these worries, and these fears, we dive into the scriptures, and we plumb them. We plumb God's word for answers. We talk to fellow Christians. We consult astute, Bible-grounded, Christ-centered theologians. We huddle with other doubters and even skeptics, and we worship the Lord together. And we encourage one another, and we pray for and with one another. For you see, this is the life of faith here on earth. And through it all, Jesus continues to invite us to come to his table to come to his table and to eat and to drink his body and blood that were given and shed for us, that very body and blood that was not only given and shed for us, but rose from the dead. And it's he who promises us everlasting life. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are having a foretaste of the feast, the party that awaits us in heaven. And that is why Jesus says in our text, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Yes, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. At about 8.20 this morning, I posted on Facebook a meme inviting you all to come and worship with me at 9.30. The meme said this, if you didn't get a chance to see it. It said, six-year-olds laugh an average of 300 times a day. Adults laugh only 15 to 100 times a day. Be six again. 
be six again. Fill your life with laughter, with song, with dance. For you see, Jesus, the life of the party, he's alive. He's alive. And he's with you. And he's with me. And he's preparing a place for you and for me and for all those who love him. A place where we will experience that eternal celebration. And so, yes, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. As you await that time when Christ will return, go and brighten another person's day. Brighten another person's day each and every day that the Lord grants you life. Tell them a joke. Tell them a lighthearted story. But bring joy and laughter into their life. And as you do so, as you tell them that joke, as you tell them that lighthearted story, tell them about the greatest joke of all. The joke that Jesus pulled on Satan and death on that first Easter morning. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.